Father, thank you that we can be still and know that you are God. That you will be exalted on this planet. God, I thank you that faithful is he who calls you who also will do it. This morning, God, as we look at your faithful love, I pray that it would resonate more deeply in our hearts. And God, that's something that my words are incapable of. But I have to believe that the words of Scripture are powerful enough to change even my heart. Lord, would you please work in our lives this morning through the power of your word. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. And go ahead and have a seat. So we went to Denver with our two little girls. And the first day of our vacation we spent, we went and visited some of my uh, extended family, some cousins who were in the Denver area, some people that we don't get to see very often, and we had fun visiting with them. But we were kind of looking forward to when we were going to go up into the mountains. My parents have, uh, my dad actually inherited a timeshare from my grandpa that he, he saves to go with family up into the mountains of Colorado. And this time, it was going to be in Breckenridge. It can be in various places, but this time it was going to be in Breckenridge. And so we were excited. And that day when we began packing up, getting excited to go up there, I don't know if you've ever traveled with babies before, but sometimes absolutely everything goes wrong. And when I say everything, I mean everything, and I won't go into all the gory details with you. But uh, our babies, uh, we had to stop for them to uh, feed and also to change them, and that's where I'll spare the gory details for you. Then we had a lot of traffic that took us what should have been an hour and a half journey, took us about uh, four hours at least to get up there. But finally, we get up and we're driving up, and I got really excited because as we drove up out of Breckenridge, I realized that it wasn't just in Breckenridge, which is probably about 10,000 feet in altitude, but we kept going up this little winding road higher and higher and higher, and I'm thinking, yes, I'm not going to be able to hike a lot this year with my little girls, but we're going to be at a high altitude already. This is going to be amazing, up in the high wilderness with my family. I just can't wait. So we're driving higher and higher. We get up to about 10,600 feet where the condo is at. And I mean, you have to hike there usually in the Sierras and backpack and all this stuff. But we're just there and we move all of our stuff into the condo. And I'm breathing heavily and realize that, hey, we're at a high altitude here. It's a little bit different than Denver. But we put our babies to sleep right away because it was way later than we expected. And as Abby and Olivia went to sleep, we went through the bedtime worship and routine and they fell asleep smoothly. That was the one thing that went pretty smoothly that day. We went downstairs and pretty soon my brother and his family arrived. They had driven out from from California and they had just arrived. And then all of a sudden my nephew came running down from upstairs. He said, what's that alarm going off up there? What's the alarm? The alarm? (gasps) Our babies. So I went up and was running up the stairs to get up to where our babies were. And I'm so thankful that um, some of you, uh, donated at our, our um, baby shower and got us these little monitors for our little babies. Now, we put our babies to sleep at a high altitude, not thinking about what could possibly happen to them. But this alarm begins to go off for Olivia. And Olivia is the one, for those of you who don't know, who had the issues in the NICU. She had to be intubated and she had problems breathing early on. We have no idea if there's a connection, but her alarm's going off. And now, in my mind, I love being at a high altitude. This is great. Baby is fine. I look at Olivia. She's smiling at me. I I look at her. She's not blue. She's breathing. I say, Leah, it's 
perfectly fine. Don't worry about it. Let me just work with her here and reset the alarm. The alarm goes off again. Reset the alarm. The alarm goes off again. Reset it. It goes off again and again and again. Finally, I realized that my wife and my mom are not going to have any peace unless I agree to take these babies out of there. So they're saying, well, let's go down to Denver. Let's just get them down to a low altitude. I said, well, let's just take it a st- let's slow down a little bit, right? Let's, let's start with going to the ER. You know, the Bible gives us some interesting warnings. I want you to turn to Revelation chapter 14 with me. Revelation chapter 14, there's this three angels messages that, that comes right before Jesus appears in the clouds. And it starts off in such an encouraging and uplifting way. But sometimes as we read through the rest of it, it, it becomes a little bit edgy to us. And maybe we read it and we think, ah, this, this could be tough, a tough message. Well, we're going to dive into it a little bit this morning. And our first verse, if we can get it up on the screen, is Revelation 14 and verse 6. Revelation 14 and verse 6. Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the, what does it say? everlasting gospel, the, the long-lasting, the, the everlasting, the eternal good news. I mean, just pause right there and let that sink in for a second. This messenger who comes, comes an angel messenger, the same word in the Greek. He comes to proclaim an everlasting good news. That means, and, and he goes on to describe the, the extent of it, to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, and tongue, and people. Are we going to be able to get slides? No? Okay. So anyway, this is the first part of the first angel's message. And this kind of paves the way to give you an idea of the global extent of the everlasting good news that is to go to how many people? What does it say here? To, it's really specific. It goes every nation, every tribe, every tongue, every people. This is not something with borders. I love the message last week talking about how God worked in amazing ways in, in these people's lives who weren't even looking for him. They, they're there in Tibet. They have no access to God apparently. And yet God is accessing them. God is stepping in to save them. God is tugging on their hearts. God is arranging to bring the Bible to them. And this tells us that we have an everlasting good news to preach to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. But look down in verse 8. We'll skip over verse 7. We'll look at this in another week. But verse 8 says this, And another angel followed, saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city, because she has made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. And now this is sometimes when we're reading through Revelation where people are like, okay, well, that's a little confusing. That's a little not as encouraging. I like the everlasting good news part. That sounded great. But now we're talking about Babylon and falling and wine of the wrath. And let's just, let's just skip over that part. But no, there is beauty in every part of scripture. Every scripture reveals a God of love who's crazy about you. And this is a part of the everlasting good news. If you flip over to Revelation chapter 18, it's what we might call the fourth angel's message where God comes and he brings power to this final three angels message and he brings it to completion. And he adds something after saying in verse two that Babylon is fallen, is fallen. 
And if you don't have a Bible, by the way, you can pick one up there in the pew in front of you. Revelation chapter 18. Then if you look down in verse 4, it says, And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins, and lest you receive of her plagues. Right? So, come out of her, my people, because I don't want you to experience what's going to happen to Babylon. Okay, so in order to understand this, sometimes uh, we, we immediately jump from Revelation, and a lot of Christians have done this. We are at fault for doing this. We jump from Revelation to the newspaper clippings. We jump to what's happening in the Middle East. We jump to all these things. But when John is writing, he is inspired by the Holy Spirit to see something that spoke to those who were immersed in the Old Testament Scriptures. So we need to ask ourselves, what is this Babylon? What is this all about? Because throughout the Bible, there's this picture of Babylon that we are to flee from, to run from, to get out of. So if you go back in your Bible, actually we find the origins of Babylon back in Genesis. And we talked about this a little bit just a couple weeks ago. You remember in Genesis chapter 10 and verse 8, it says, in this genealogy, it spends the most amount of time on a guy named Nimrod, whose name, interestingly enough, means, does anybody remember? Rebellion, or he rebels. That's basically what his name means. So Cush begot Nimrod, that rebellious guy. He began to be a mighty one on the earth. Okay, so we don't know if this is just physical, but it's probably more than that. He has this authority we, we gather as we continue reading, because verse 9 says this, Verse 10, sorry. And the beginning of his kingdom was, what does it say? Babel. So if he has a kingdom, what is he? A king. Only kings have kingdoms. He is setting up a monarchical rule over a area of the world. This is not something that God instituted. This is something that he is establishing. He is exalting himself. And then we looked at what took place with the Tower of Babel, how they went and they built a tower. And in Genesis chapter 11, this is expanding on how Nimrod establishes this empire. Verse 4, and it says, And they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. Now you remember, there's just been the flood. And God promised after the flood, I'm not going to flood the earth again. Here's my rainbow, this beautiful promise. And now they're building a tower that goes to the heavens as a way to escape from what they picture that God might do to them again or that nature might do to them again. And then they say this, let us make a name for ourselves lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. Now we look at this verse again just to remind ourselves of the principles of Babylon that actually originated far before that with the father of all lies who in Isaiah what's called the proverb of Babylon it says this in verse 13 for you have said in your heart I will ascend into heaven I will exalt my throne above the stars I will ascend above the heights of the clouds I will be like the most high I will do this I will exalt myself I will save myself it's full of pride and it's full of self-righteousness and the ability to provide for oneself This is the root of what's happening in Babylon and we looked at how as they're building Babylon I mean what are they ignoring there had to have been a, some rain that happened during that time and they had to have been hammering away and looking over and seeing this rainbow like, just ignore the rainbow. It's really beautiful, but that doesn't mean anything. It's just a natural phenomenon. It doesn't mean that there's a God of love 
who really will be our Savior. We're going to build our own kingdom. We're going to provide for our own salvation. And we saw in that sermon how God parallels in the book of Genesis uh, through Moses the rainbow to the Sabbath is an everlasting covenant, a representation of coming into the rest of Jesus as our one and only Savior, the one who Exodus 31 says sanctifies us, which is what the Sabbath is a sign of. So here you have the, the roots, the foundation of what Babylon is all about. And in Revelation it's saying Babylon has fallen. Babylon is fallen. Well, look at what happens in Genesis chapter 11. We didn't look at this as much. In Genesis chapter 11 verse 8 it says, So the Lord scattered them abroad from o- there over the face of all the earth, and they ceased building the city. You see how in this story their failure, in a way Babylon has fallen into a problem, and God did this by... He had to step in because you think about it. They're establishing this monarchy that's based on control, that's based on the principles that were ruling before the flood when you had violence multiplying on the planet, when you had uh, that one guy saying, hey, I'm going, I killed these two guys just for, for injuring me. I, w- I would kill anybody and I would do, there's all this violence multiplying and God is stepping in to stop that from happening again. And so he, he steps in and he, he puts a stop to the tower being built. Verse 9 says, Therefore its name is called Babel. And that's where we get the word Babylon from. It's, it ties in. Because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of all the earth. Now who created all people with one language on this planet? Was God's original plan for us to have a separation of languages? I was talking up at the Spanish church this morning and I was longing for this not to have ever happened. And really, as you read through the story of Genesis, that's kind of where you're supposed to end up. You, you read first about how God creates this perfect and beautiful planet. And as, as he creates it, he says, this is very good. Then Adam and Eve take the fruit and then Cain murders his brother and pretty soon the earth is filled with violence and so God takes and he, he, he sends the flood and then we see that after the flood there's this recreation that happens and, and they have another chance and they have these blessings and, and this covenant is given to them where they can fill the earth and multiply. Where they, they have all of these blessings given to them in the rainbow. And then a little bit later they're building the tower. They're trying to save themselves. They're, they're exalting themselves just like Adam and Eve did. And you find again that the world is thrown into confusion. So it's fascinating that if you were to read in Genesis chapter uh, 11, and you were read down to the end, it begins to tell us about the genealogy of Shem. And it tells us towards the end of this about a guy named Terah. And then it tells us about a guy named Abram. And it says that he came from Ur of the Chaldeans. Now, archaeologists in researching and biblical historians, as they look at where Ur of the Chaldeans was, this was likely the location, the best of our knowledge, of where the Tower of Babel probably was. So the, the narrative just continues straight on from here into chapter 12, and you find that God calls someone straight out of Babylon. Here you have the the confusion that has originated in these principles of self-exaltation, of trying to save oneself. And God steps into that and he picks a weak human being who's 75 years old, who doesn't have a child, and he says, I am going to recreate yet again. 
Genesis chapter 12 and verse 1, it says, Now the Lord had said to Abram, Get out of your country. Get out of Ur of, Chal- of the Chaldeans. Get out of Babylon, Abram. Abram, you can't stay in Babylon anymore. You need to get out. Now, he goes on to tell us how. He says, from your family and from your father's house. Now, in this time, I mean, they're in a patriarchal society where your family, your father's house, those were the things that you tended to rely upon for your sustenance, for your defense against other people. I mean, that's where you, you kind of leaned heavily into that as what would provide for you in your life. So at first, as we read this, it's like, hey, God is saying, come out of Babylon, Abraham, and come away from all that stuff that you're relying on to save yourself. Or maybe that he felt exalted by it. I'm not sure exactly. But look at what it goes on from there to say. But before we do that, actually, let's look at the word get out. So it says get out of Babylon. Literally, if you were to look at the, the Hebrew, it says lech lecha. Now, lech alone is the imperative to get out. But then it adds, lacha to you. Get out to you. Now, it's pretty fascinating. I was reading the, this commentary that I, I highly recommend to you by Jack Sukan on the book of Genesis, the SDA Bible Commentary, Volume 1. And he says this, Abraham has to get rid of the Babel that is still in him, the idolatry of his fathers, and the arrogant mentality of Babel. Now we know that his fathers were idolaters because in Joshua chapter 24, Joshua says, you know that, that over the river, your fathers, Terah, the father of Abraham, they were idolaters. Okay? So they're idolaters, but, but also there's that, those principles of Babel, the, the arrogance, the self-reliance. God is calling Abraham not just from a physical locality, not just saying, hey, you need to come from Babylon and you need to come over here. But he's also saying, I need Babylon out of your heart. And this speaks to me today because I might feel like, hey, I'm not worshiping in Babylon. I'm not a part of Babylon. What's the big deal about this come out of Babylon message? But maybe it applies to me today, sitting here in a Seventh-day Adventist church and worshiping God on the Seventh-day Sabbath. Maybe it still applies to me. And look at how Paul later on described it. It's interesting if you read in the New Testament and you you look for uh, which characters are most mentioned from the Old Testament. The most mentioned character is Moses. He's mentioned about 80 times. Right after him is Abraham. Abraham is a real big deal when it comes to Paul's writing, when it comes to even what Jesus has to teach us. Abraham is mentioned again and again and again about 75 times. For example, David, who we look at as this amazing king, he's mentioned about 59 times. So Abraham is, is really maximized in the New Testament scriptures as this character, this father of faith, this friend of God who we find in the Old Testament. In Hebrews 11, verse 8, in this Heroes of Faith chapter, Paul says this, By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. You see, God's not calling him to something else that he can rely upon. He's not saying, hey, stop relying on your family, but start relying on this list of things over here that you can rely upon. God's saying, hey, you're going to go out of here, and I'm 
doesn't tell him where he's going. It goes on to say in verse 10, For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. He's coming out of Babylon, that city which had foundations that were built by Nimrod and all of his strong, mighty men who were building this tower to make a great name for themselves. He's coming out of that area and he's looking to God as the one who will build a city for him. And it gets so beautiful when you realize, I mean, sometimes you might think the Christian walk, think about that first day when you decided to become a Christian, or if you haven't yet, and maybe something's holding you back from that, think about, is there a call out of something in order to become a Christian? There's a, there's a call to a transformation of heart and life that takes place. And sometimes that can be intimidating, but I love what it says in the book Steps to Christ when it describes how what, what we give up. In the book Steps to Christ, talking about it, it says, I'm ashamed to even write to think of it being a big sacrifice because what we have to give up is a sinful, carnal heart. And really, it's just our, our wretchedness, our miserableness, our blindness that we turn away from. And, and what, do we, what enables us to get out of Babylon? What enables me to get Babylon out of my heart? I'm really not capable of doing that myself. I should learn that of anything because Babylon is a representative of trying to save yourself. Babylon is representative of, of the pride that I've got what it takes. The call out of Babylon is not saying, hey, I know the way out. Abraham doesn't know where to go. He doesn't know where the city is. He is just simply entering into a relationship with a God who does know. Thankfully, I love how the promise goes on in, in Genesis chapter 12 to Abraham. As he calls him, he says, I'm, I'm calling you out of this place. And it's always the goodness of God that leads us to repentance, to turning. We're turning away from sin, but we're turning towards a person. A beautiful, loving person who's promising to do absolutely all of the work for us. Look at what is promised here. So thinking about this, thinking about our call in these last days to be called out of Babylon to prepare for Jesus to come, this is what God says to Abraham. To a land that I will show you, I will make you a great nation, I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. Isn't that awesome? You read that and you think, man, the promises that God gave to Abraham, he's telling him, I'm going to show you the land where it is. I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your name great. That's what the Babylonians building the Tower of Babel wanted to make a great name for themselves. And God's saying, Abraham, I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to bless you. But it gets better because it says, and make your name great and you shall be a blessing. The purpose of that greatness is to be a blessing. Then it keeps going. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Here God's choosing this 75-year-old man who doesn't have children, who's living in an idolatrous country. His father, at least we know, was an idolater. And maybe for him even, there was a mixture of confusion. But he was at least listening for the true God. So my question this morning, though, is do all those things apply to me? Do all those things apply to you? Are you sure, Leonard? Are you sure? 
I mean, can you tell me for a fact? I mean, do we just take this and say, yeah, that's for sure for me? Or was that something special for, I mean, Abraham is a special guy. Does this really apply to me today? Look at what Paul says in Galatians chapter 3. Paul, who again and again takes us back to what Abraham did, or what God did for Abraham, I should say. Verse chapter, Galatians 3, verse 8. And think about this, that we have the everlasting gospel that preached to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people, calling them out of Babylon. Look at what this says. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, in you all the nations shall be blessed. God preached the everlasting gospel, that same gospel that we are to take to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. God took this gospel that's the, that was in the heart of God before creation, that was revealed time and time again throughout salvation history, that's here revealed in the history of Abraham. God preached the gospel to Abraham, and he did it specifically in the last part of that promise. You notice that? It says, in you... All the nations shall be blessed. This is beautiful. Here Abraham is in a a world that has become divided. There are languages, there are nations, there are kingdoms, there's there's confusion, there's Babylon is really the prevailing sentiment. God steps in and he picks a man and he says, here's the good news that in you all nations will be blessed. And what does this in you mean really? Thankfully, Paul goes on to unpack it. So then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. If you will believe the promise, the promises are for you. The question is, will we believe them? Verse 13 goes on to say this, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. And Matthew chapter 1 starts off by saying, hey, Jesus is the son of David, the son of Abraham wants us to know specifically that that he's fulfilling this promise in his life. Jesus has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. All the mess that we chose, Jesus said, I take that myself. I'll take it on myself. Don't let that pass you by this morning. Every bad choice of your life, every sin that you've ever committed or will ever commit, Jesus says, I'll take that. He said, I choose to go through the cross. I choose to lay down my life. I choose to go through hell for those people. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. And then it goes on to say in verse 14, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus. Now this would have been shocking to the Jews to read. Like, oh yeah, okay, so the Savior, the Messiah comes in order to provide this for the Jews, right? Paul says he came to make sure that the Gentiles are pulled into this, that, that all nations, all peoples, all tribes, all pink, all tongues are, are pulled into his circle. That the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith, that we can have the Holy Spirit in our lives. That promise is given to us only in Christ because of this promise that was given, this covenant that was given to Abraham way back in Genesis 4,000 years ago. Verse 28 goes on to say this. There is neither Jew nor Greek. Now, Ron talked about this in his, his sermon about Mission Impossible. And it's such a beautiful thing to think about. There's no longer Jew or Greek. Here you have all of these divisions, this religious animosity, this, this inability to live together. 
this looking at us versus them, thinking that I am better than them. And, and Paul says, hey, no longer is there Jew or Greek. Stop worrying about that. There is neither slave nor free. Now, in saying these things, it's not that, that people don't still have their culture. In saying these things, we even see that sometimes Paul told those who were still slaves to serve in the midst of their masters as if they were serving Christ. But he's saying no longer is there this distinction of, of lesser people and higher people. There's no longer just slave and free. There is neither male nor female. It's not saying that they were all androgynous, that we're no longer male or female. But it's saying that no longer are women these outcasts who have no say in life anymore. But in Christ, they are restored to being what God designed them to be all along. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And then it goes on to say this. If you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to... And what are those last two words? The promise. And you notice here, it's a definite article. The promise. It's singular. It's not the promises. But according to the promise that was given to Abraham, you and I... Most definitely, if there's anything that we can know of being Christians, being saved by Jesus, is that these promises apply to us. So this is good news because we are called to come out of Babylon in preparation for Jesus coming back. We're called to get out. And I want to challenge you this morning. You might feel like, I'm already out of Babylon. I'm good to go. But the more I think about it, the more I realize that I'm still kind of clinging to Babylon. I mean, just like, so we, we went down the hill with our baby girls and we got to the ER and we went inside and we saw these doctors and, and the numbers were fine, it seemed like to, to me, with them being awake. And I'm thinking, okay, the vacation is going to be fine. Let's just go back up there. But we keep asking questions and they're like, really? When they're sleeping, you need to put them on oxygen or you need to go down to a lower elevation. So, of course, I'm thinking, let's put them on oxygen, right? (laughs) And my family's thinking, we're not going to put the babies through that. Just go down. Like, no, I want to be in the high mountains. I love my babies. I want them there and I want them healthy and safe. But what's the big deal? It's a little nasal cannula. It'll be fine. Let's, Let's at least try it. It took about 15 seconds of Abby having the cannula in her nose before we realized this wasn't a fun place to be. It's not a happy place to be. Uh, It was miserable for her. She was just screaming and crying and finally said, okay, let's get out. Let's get out of here. Let's go down to Denver where it's a little bit lower elevation, a little bit safer. I realized in my own life, I'm hesitant to get out. That, that I may think that, that I'm good, I'm safe, everything's fine, but, but really, there's still a bit of me that's, that's proud, just like the builders of Babel. There's a little bit of me that, that feels like I do have what it takes. I can take care of myself. There's a little bit of me that, that is filled with Babylon. And that's gotta go. We saw that the little translation is, Get out to you. Like, literally, get Babylon out of your hearts. Not just the location, but also the attitude of your life has got to be out of Babylon. 
Patriarchs and Prophets, page 126, commenting on this, says, Many are still tested, as was Abraham. This is in the chapter on the call of Abraham. Many are still tested, as was Abraham. God calls them away from human influences and aid and leads them to feel the need of his help and depend upon him alone that he may reveal himself to them. If I'm relying on anything else than Jesus, if I'm thinking that, that I'm going through the right motions, if I'm thinking that, that my family heritage or something's going to provide for me, if I'm thinking that anything but Jesus is enough, I'm still in Babylon. Jesus is calling us out of Babylon. And there's this fascinating parallel that we'll look at really quickly as we look at this promise. Genesis chapter 1 says that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then verse 2, it says, And the earth was formless and void. That's tohu wabohu. It's like this chaos that we later see is, is referred to during the millennium time period. It's the earth is in chaos. So you see this out of cosmic chaos, God creates this planet. It's kind of the way Genesis describes this picture. And in Genesis chapter 12, we find that in verse 1, Abraham is living in a place that has become full of confusion. And from there, God gives him the call to get out. And then he In giving him that call, he gives them seven promises. And I don't want you just to think about this as the promises to Abraham because we just saw that if we can be sure about anything about Jesus, this morning it's that these promises are for you. All you got to do is believe them. I will show you the land. That's the first of the seven promises. I'm going to be the one that's going to, going to reveal it to you. I'm going to point the way. God will make a way where there seems to be no way. So this morning, if you're feeling like, yeah, I just, I don't know where God's leading. I don't know the direction. I feel a lot of confusion in my life. Maybe I'm still stuck in Babylon. Abraham went out of Babylon and still didn't know where he was going. He didn't have an idea of the location that he was supposed to head to, but he knew who he was going with. And that is all that matters. I will show you. Remember that when Lucifer talked, he said, I will ascend. I will make myself like the whole, the most high. God's answer to that is, I will show you a land. I will make you a great nation. Who's the one doing all the action here? It's God. God shows up to Abraham and says, I will make you a great nation. You don't have one child. That's okay. Don't worry about mission impossible because I will step through for you. I will provide where you can't see the way forward. I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. He doesn't just just exalt or or, or work in our lives in such a way to lift us up in order that we can be self-exalted. But he works in such a way that we can be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. I'm going to be this shield around you, this protection that we see revealed in the life of Abraham. As he's going out of Babylon, he's, he's in an area that he's not able to defend himself. He, he doesn't have what it takes. He's simply relying upon the promises of God. He's relying on the faithful covenant-keeping God who makes a promise and follows through in that promise. And these promises are for you too. Finally, Number seven, which there's interesting parallels here again to the Sabbath as you look at the, the passive language of it. But it says, in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. 
The goal of all of this, Abraham, is not just for you to have kids and to have nations and to be protected and, and all this, but the goal for your life is to be a blessing to the people around you. That is what God is calling us to. That is His mission and purpose for you. And we've begun to realize that, hey, this is a promise that we've got to begin to pray in our lives. When we were thinking about having little girls, as we were praying about it, and we were thinking the times we're living in are kind of crazy times. Actually, this is what I was thinking. Do we really want to have kids? Is this the right thing right now? A promise that God gave to me, I believe it's Psalm 141, verse 13. It says, I will strengthen the bars of your gates. I will make your children, or I have made your children a blessing within you. So we began to pray that prayer. Lord, would you make our babies a blessing? And I'll have to be honest, a lot of times I recognize that there's Babylon in my heart that I I often have not responded with self-giving, self-sacrificing love like is revealed in Jesus as the way of the kingdom of heaven, the way out of Babylon. But as we begin to get, pray this prayer, it's amazing what can happen even with ruined vacations. Supposedly ruined. Actually, Leah just told me, she's like, actually, that was probably one of the best vacations that we have ever had before. So towards the end of our vacation, we were sitting on this street and there's people walking past and we're, we're sitting around this table and, and we had just fed the girls and, and, and there's people walking by and I'm, we're noticing how people just, they smile when the girls smile at them. There's something happening. I was talking to Leah about how, you know, one smile, you never know the difference that that might make in somebody's life. And then along comes this lady. She's a little bit, you know, I don't want to judge just from appearances. You can kind of tell that she's had a pretty rough life. Uh, You can tell that, that she was really feeling down that day. She's looking down. She's walking along. And I'm thinking, okay, Lord, make us a blessing. Lord, make us a blessing. As she gets close, we all smile at her with the biggest smile that we can muster. You think a smile could be a blessing to people in their lives? Suddenly, it's like she was arrested, and she looks, and she's like, twins? Like, yeah, it's twins. Identical twins? Yeah, they're identical twins. I'm an identical twin! Whoa! Okay, that's like one in 400. I forget. That's really rare. That's amazing. She says, no, 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 but but not just that. My brother is an identical, my brothers are identical twins as well. Wow, I have never heard of that before. So it said, and you're probably not going to, well, I don't know if she said it like this, but it was unbelievable because then she said, and my mother is an identical twin as well. What? (laughs) And then she begins to just tell us about how much she loves her twin, how great it was to be a twin. And her countenance began to change. And by the end, I think she said something to us along the lines of, man, you guys just made my day. If you pray for God to make you a blessing, God will make you a blessing. That's his promise. He will make you a blessing to all people everywhere. And that doesn't mean that you're going to always bring people to church. I hope that you do. But it may be just a smile to that person. It may be that you go throughout your day spreading joy wherever you go because of the promise of the one who is with you, who is leading you, who is guiding you. And even though it may look like you don't know where you're going, You know who you're leaning on, and so you can smile. And the people around you are lifted by that. So we got home a little bit early, actually, and we decided to to have a little bit of a staycation. And and I've had a prayer that we could somehow interact with our neighbors. And and one day, actually, actually it was right after we got back from work, we got back 
to work, I should say. And, and that Wednesday was a really long day, the Wednesday this last week. And I'm driving up to our, our, our house at the end of the day, kind of tired, and I see that our neighbor is talking to Leah. And then I look over at their house, and there's like this pile of stuff in their driveway. I think, uh-oh, <laughs> what's going on next door? Um, <clears throat> so then I walk over. And she's already left, and I walk inside, and Leah's like, oh, they were asking if we had a dolly, but I said, maybe Zach could help you, but she didn't really, she didn't really jump to that. She just went across the street. In that moment, I had the choice. Babylon? Or what would let Jesus be a blessing to other people? I'd like to go to bed. I'd like to rest. I'd like, that sounds really good. And, and sadly, there's probably been hundreds of thousands of times where I've chosen Babylon. But as you pray this prayer and you, you believe this promise, God, fulfill your promise. Make me a blessing. He'll, he'll, he'll prompt you. He'll be like, hey, you didn't even notice, but your neighbor's across the street. And so I went and helped them out with it. And we were able to exchange numbers. And I found out that I lost the, the um, boyfriend's number. And so last night, we get home from our family's vespers and finally praying over the last part of the, the, the sermon, just praying about it. And then finally get ready for bed, about to crawl into bed, and my phone starts ringing. Oh, what's this going to be about? It was my neighbor. He says, you know, I'm in Morro Bay, and uh, the, the, the air filter's hanging down, and something, uh, neat. my wife, uh, my, my girlfriend can't, can't fix it, and my, my mom's there, and my little daughter, and, and, and guests are coming. Is there any possibility? If, if you don't want to, I'll call other guys. Don't worry. But would you help me out? Of course I will. I want to be a blessing. God begins to transform our hearts. So late at night went across and did a simple thing. I don't know what difference that makes in their life. But I know that what we are called to is to be a blessing. Not just to the people that we like. Not just to the people that look like us, but we have an everlasting gospel to preach to every nation, every tribe, every tongue, every people that Jesus is good and that his goodness in our hearts makes other lives better because we know Jesus. And that is what is attractive to people. That is how we begin to invite them to know Jesus too. So in conclusion, I want for us just to take a little bit of time here to meditate on this incredible promise about these promises of God. And I want you to do two things as you leave today, to to just hang on to two points. Can you do that? One is this. Believe the promises of God because he's faithful and the promises are for you. You say that with me? Believe the promises. Look at what Peter says about this. The guy who fell again and again. The guy who Jesus picked back up. He says this in 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 2. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Okay, this is, this is language that we could kind of skim over, but godliness, that means likeness to God who is love, likeness to Jesus. That will be a blessing to all nations. Through the knowledge of Him who called to us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceeding great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. 
these promises are everything to you. It's about believing what God has promised to do in your life and allowing Him to do it. That is the essence of the Christian walk. The Bible is all about a promise made and a promise kept through Jesus Christ. And that is what God is longing to fulfill in your life. So number one, what is it? Believe the promises. Believe the promises. Walk out of here thinking about that. Believe the promises. In order to do that, you got to know the promises. you got to take time to cogitate on them. you got to take time every day to get to know the one who's made the promises. But finally, just to pray this, this last part of this promise, just to pray and ask God specifically, God, would you make me a blessing to all people? I want all the families of the earth. Would you make me a blessing? So those two things, just think about that. Think about number one, believing the promises. God is the one who's given us the sevenfold promise of what he will do for us. And number two, asking for it in our own lives so that we can make the lives around us better. Let's pray together. Father, I just want to confess there's still roots of Babylon in my own heart. And I want to ask that you would take that out today. You would fill me with your Holy Spirit as you have promised to do. Lord, we are heirs of this promise, Lord. Thank you for each and every person here today that you have promised to them that you will show them the way. You've promised to them that that you will make them a great influence, that you will bless them, that you will make their name great, and you will make them a blessing, that you will bless those who bless them, that you won't bless those who don't bless them, and that in them, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Lord, we believe. Help our unbelief. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.